0: Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about sales, marketing and communication. My guest Marcus Sheraton is a highly sought after international keynote speaker, known for his ability to excite, engage and motivate live audiences with his simple yet powerful transformational business approach. Listen as he talks about the importance of understanding customers, communicating effectively, and asking questions. Well, cool, you guys. Today we have Marcus Sheridan on the podcast. Really excited about having him here today. You know, Marcus, why don't you tell the audience, if they don't already know about you, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so here's the quick one-on-one. I'll try to make the long story short. It's great to be here, Shane. And I started a swimming pool company literally out of the back of a pickup truck with a couple buddies in 2001. I was essentially out of college and things were going okay for us up until the market collapsed in 2008, 2009, and that's, I thought we were going to lose the business, and it looked like I was going to lose my home, my two business partners lost their homes, our 60 employees were going to have to be laid off, and that's right about the time when I really started to learn about what we might call today inbound, or content, or digital, or any of this blogging, social stuff, and when I looked at it all, in my simple pool guy mind, I read this as, okay, Marcus, if you just obsess over your customers' questions, and you're willing to address them, you just might save your business. And so I said, all right, we're going to be the best teachers in the world when it comes to fiberglass swimming pools. And that's what we ended up being. And again, to make that long story short, we ended up becoming the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. And it saved our business. And became the largest builder of fiberglass pools in the US. Now we're manufacturing fiberglass pool shells as well, because we got so many leads that I had to take advantage of those outside of our area of Virginia is where we install the pools. And so now we have dealers all over the country. And In the process of doing this, I started to write about what I was learning and uh, started a really simple blog in 2009, like six months after I started They Ask You Answer, and it was called The Sales Lion, and uh, because I love lions and sales sounded better than marketing. So nobody really listened for the most part for about six to 12 months, and then suddenly I started to pick up a little bit of tractions, Shane, and and had some companies say, could you teach us how to do that thing you did with your pool company? And then I had some conferences say, hey, can you you share that story? And that led to two things that were significant. It led to me starting an agency, and that agency today is called Impact. All right, so SalesLine became Impact, and Impact has about 70-ish employees. And we do digital sales and marketing, strategy consulting for brands and companies all over the world now and I'm speaking full-time professionally. So I still spend a couple hours a week, my pool company, still on it. Spend about 10 hours a week with my agency But I spend the rest of my time traveling and getting in front of audiences and spreading the word, which, of course, is they ask, you answer. And the book came out about three years ago, and it just came out in a revised version because it's been growing in momentum. Usually books slow way down after six months. It's actually picked up after six months and has kept going. And so it's been an amazing ride. And so that's the journey I've been on over the last, I guess, uh, 10 years since 2009.
0: It's crazy. I obviously know your background. I looked at a, a, like a pool company to where you're at today. It's just such a like. It's interesting thing because I mean, I, I think of like not to compare to Gary Vee, but Gary V as in you know wine back in the day, and then how it transitioned into like how he learned what he learned from there, and he, he's taken it to the next level. And I think you know it's a lot of those things where you have those companies that you know where it's like kind of make or break you, and you're in a situation and you're like, God, how am I gonna? You know, you're learning as you go. Most people in at least in 2009, 2010, weren't talking about what they were doing to be successful, right? I mean, the blogging thing started to become kind of big and everybody's like, I'm not going to give up my secrets. But I think you went the opposite route. You're like, Hey, I'm going to tell everybody what I'm doing, what's working, what's not working, which I think is catapulted you where you're at today, where you're now you're doing the speaking and the workshops because you've been doing it for so long, right? You've been doc, you documented your journey, which I think a lot of people didn't do. And I think that was probably, yeah, I think there's really a few things, you. you know, if I'm looking at it analytically, right?
1: one of them is most people can put their arms around the pool guy story, right? And there's so many, we may go into them like there's intricacies of of how we had this crazy success. The approach of They Ask, You Answer wasn't one that was genius at all, right? In other words, it just made so much sense to me. But it turns out that nobody really was doing many of the things that we were doing. It ended up being outrageously innovative for the time. And what's crazy about it to this day, Shane, we're a decade later, and still most companies do not really embrace this philosophy, Right. They can put their arms around the story very easy. Also, I would say that I've managed this, we'll call it just success or whatever you want to call it, because I've never tried to sound smart. And I think this is, this is one of those things when you talk about just anything, content, your website, your brand, your message, your, as a speaker, whatever it is. There's a group of people that if you look at them, you can just tell there's something there. They're trying to sound smart. And the moment we try to sound smart, we start to lose a percentage of our audience. But if we release that, right, and we say, my only job today is communion, I'm only here so as to potentially induce a light bulb moment by me sharing with the world what the world has taught me in simple terms. I'm not here to prove anything. And that really resonated. I think it resonated with all these pool shoppers, right? It resonated as I started to talk about what we were doing, and people were like, dude, this makes so much sense. Why are we not doing this? And then it continues to resonate today. And that's why, why it's been so fun. It's been so cool for me, right? But I think we forget that yeah. oftentimes. We try to sound smart, and it's probably one of the number one piece of feedback that I give to people, whether it's a speaker, wh- whether it's a brand that's, that's doing video or they're doing content. I'm like, what are you trying to prove here? Because it's obvious to me that you're trying to show that you're intelligent. If you just teach me without trying to show it, it'll happen organically.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like that because it, it is one of those things that when people try to act smart and say it turns a lot of people off, right? It's like, I get it. You're Mr. Guru. You're Mr. This. But I think you you have a really good way of being very genuine. Like we, when you put the information out there, it's like you're literally just sharing it, right? It's like, here, let me put this out there. Not and showing your expertise in doing that, but that's not really the goal, right? I think the goal is to say this is like what I've learned. I'm literally giving you guys a gift of, hey, read this and maybe hopefully you get something from it. Well, there's a component of it that is,
1: and I say this you have to take in the right context. There's a component, whenever you teach something, you have to teach in a way like, here it is. Now you can take it or leave it. It's okay. I'm okay either way with what you do with it, right? So let me give you an example. And and it's almost like sharing it with nothing to lose. So one of the things that in general uh, companies have struggles with when they produce messaging and content is it immediately sounds biased. There's certain things that we do that make a viewer, make a reader say, they don't really have my best interest at heart, right? So let me give you an example of that. So the principle they ask you answer is, you obsess over your customer's questions, and you feel like it's your moral obligation to address them on the front end, in that digital realm, because if you don't address it, you know that they'll look somewhere else, and that's who they're ultimately going to do business with. That's it in a nutshell, right? And so an example of this is people used to ask me as a fiberglass pool builder, They used to ask me all the time, so Marcus, be honest, what is the difference between a concrete and fiberglass pool? Why should I choose fiberglass? Okay. 99% of pool companies are going to say all the reasons why you should choose fiberglass. That's what they're going to do in that moment. And that's why they fail to stand out because that's not going to induce trust and it's going to show that you're biased. So how would you do that? So let's say, I'm being hypothetical right now, but let's say I was going to produce an article or a video on the difference between concrete and fiberglass pools. And all I sell is fiberglass pools, right? So let's say I'm going to produce that. It's going to sound like this. And oh, by the way, like this structure is something that we've replicated thousands of times now. And it's the same thing over and over again. But again, most companies don't do what I'm getting ready to show you how to do here. And so as I'm saying this, if you're listening to this, think about, okay, is that the way we communicate online? So it might sound something like this, Shane. So one of the questions I get here all the time is, okay, Marcus, be honest, tell me, why should I choose fiberglass over concrete? Well, the truth is, you shouldn't always choose fiberglass over concrete. In fact, there are times when concrete is the better option. So what this article or what this video is going to do, it's going to honestly and transparently explain to you the pros and the cons of both types of swimming pools. And then by the end, hopefully you'll have a great sense as to which is the best choice for you. Now, when I'm with an audience and I say, after I do that, how often do companies communicate with you that way? They say, almost never, almost never. I was with a really big brand. Heck, I'll say their name. I was with Bass Pro Shops recently and we were launching their new ATV line that Tracker makes. So Tracker... They make boats, and they also make now ATVs. And we were shooting videos out there at their headquarters, and I was overseeing it. And it was fascinating because part of the scripting process, we had to say we were doing reviews of their ATVs. And part of it, we said, in this video, we're going to help you get a sense as to whether or not this is the right ATV, for you. And the folks from the the manufacturing side of it that were there from the manufacturing side were like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? Stop we're going to help you decide that. if <laughs> this is the right fit for you. Of course, it's the right fit for them. I'm like, no, it's not. So we proceeded to have this nice little debate, right? When you base things on psychology and you base things on what would I want if I was the viewer, the listener, the reader in this moment,
0: it gets pretty simple to make those types of decisions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting is that it's like any everybody, most people would sell, right? On why this is the best option, right? Not really necessarily think about what are they looking for? They're looking for a non-biased opinion from somebody who's usually going to be biased. So you're, you're really giving them the answer of like, here, once again, it's not for everybody. I, I mean, I get that about, so I, I do most of my speaking stuff that I do is about influencer marketing just because it's kind of the hot term and I've been doing it and I teach a, a class over at UCLA. The reason I'm telling you that is because what people will say is well, influencer marketing is it good for everybody. And I go, it's not. It's absolutely not, right? And I'll tell you, there's certain... There's there's obviously certain niches in certain companies that it makes more sense to do influencer marketing, but it's not for everybody, right? Cause I don't want to sell you as it's for everybody. And here's the reasons why it is good for certain companies and not good for other companies. And I think people appreciate that, right? Because they're not used to that. They're not used to people, you know, cause that's the thing is you're not trying to pull in everybody, right? You're trying to pull in the people because then you're gonna have a better qualified client, right? Or person because they've read through this and said, Hey, out of these nine things, eight of those are me. And these are the two big things I was worried about. And that's why it makes more sense to go with a cement pool or you know or something like that they're not used to the people being that honest and when you are that honest it's like okay well that's that actually really well, helps me make you my decision that,
1: let me tell you the most important section of a website that every company should have that nobody listening to this podcast has right now no it is the section that is no. who we're not a good fit for ah, this is easily like one of the highest converting pages of your site if you have it all right And so once again, this goes back to simple psychology. Generally speaking, everybody's going to say who they are and why they're special, maybe the problems they solve. But almost never does somebody say who we're not a good fit for. But the moment you say what you're not is the moment you become dramatically more attractive to those who you are a good fit for, right? So it's, it's the same thing if I say, You know, a fiberglass pool is not for you if you're looking for something longer than 40 feet, wider than 16 feet, very customized in terms of shape or depth. But if you're looking for a low-maintenance pool that's going to last you a lifetime, that's less than 16 by 40 and less than 8 feet deep, and we do have a shape that does fit your needs, well, then it might be a great choice for you. Now, the qualified person that is a fit is going to hear that and say, oh, perfect, I wanted a 16 by 32 rectangle, three to five feet deep. This is absolutely what I was looking for. So it creates a greater sense of wanting in that moment. But it's so fascinating that companies are almost never willing to say that. So if you put a section on your site that says who we're not a good fit for, and you do it without sarcasm, if you're not snarky, but if you really do it with honesty, you will find that it is a very high converter.
0: It's funny. So we, and I did something like that, revamped my site now, but we did have something on my site. It was a while ago. And we, I, we did have on there, like, who's not a good fit. Like if you don't have a budget, anything under $10,000 a month, if you don't have some kind of, you know, we put that on there and we actually received, you know, not everybody read it. People would go on there and be like, I have $500. What can you do? And I'm like, ah, well, you know, let me, let me help you out a little bit. Let me throw you some bones or have you send you an article or something. But there was, we did see a good amount of people because once again, we really want I mean, I don't care about a thousand leads. I care about the 10 perfect leads, right? Or the the 10 leads that are going to be are going to come in that are more qualified because they've already read some of it and said, I am a good fit. And he seems like he's a good fit because I already know what he's not willing to work with. And I think, and hopefully I'll be able to get on his radar and be able to work with him because I'm a good fit because I know what he doesn't like, right? Or what isn't a good fit. So I think it's interesting. I I love the concept of that. And once again, I, I think it's You got to get on more stages, my friend. I mean, that's, that's, it's, you know, what's fascinating about this, right? Is
1: I see this across the board and companies, they just don't do it. Right. And that's because they're coming from this place of, to your point, we need as many leads as possible, but all the studies have proven otherwise. Like there's a recent B2B study that came out that said on the typical B2B sale, Over 50% of the time, the prospect is not a good fit. Think about that. Over 50% of the time. So, why in the world are we not telling that and teaching them that on the front end? They very, very much appreciate it. And this is how you set a tone early on that no, this company, this brand, they're not like everybody else. And yes, they do have my interest at heart here, right? And that's something that's unique. And these are little things that we can do. It's no different than, let's say, let's look at messaging from like the homepage of your website. Let's just take a, a simple example. A lot of people on the homepage of their site might have a section that says, what makes us special or why we're great or something along those lines, right? What makes us unique? That's actually not the smartest way to say it. The smartest way to say it is, for example, a headline like this. Are we really any different than anybody else? Question mark. Now that causes me to lean in because that's exactly what I'm thinking. Yet, that's yeah, not absolutely. the way that most companies would do a headline. You see what I'm saying? And it's all the same principle, right? It's, it's all the same principle. We um, recently, for about three, four years, we've been teaching companies a lot with video. And one of the highest converting or, or one of the most effective videos that we see working is videos that go next to forms on landing pages. Now, what's fascinating about this is when somebody fills out a form on a website, there's there's essentially four major fears that they have. Are you going to spam me to death? Are you going to email me to death? What are you going to do with my information, like privacy? And what's going to happen if I fill out this form? So those are the four major questions or fears that people have. So here's what you want to do. You want to put a video immediately next to that form. Now, that video should have a title. If it doesn't have a title, it doesn't get watched, right? which is crazy how many videos don't have titles on websites today. But that's beside the point. Now, here's the thing. The title, though, is the key here because the title needs to be done in a way that the person is thinking it. And so the title to that video would be see exactly what will happen if you fill out this form. The problem is a lot of people would make the title why you should fill out this form. That denotes bias. But as soon as you strip bias from all messaging, it's way more attractive and people lean in.
0: So, how did you? And we, and it's so funny. We we're doing this podcast a little backwards, which I do appreciate. We're not going to move back. I'm not going to find out where you grew up at the end of the podcast. So, what's interesting for me about this is, how did you come about? I mean, was this all from the pool game, from you jumping in there and you kind of realizing some of this, like having some aha moments? I mean, was this? Something that I mean it, usually that 's what it is right it 's not that hey, I went to you know this university and I had an instructor I mean potentially, but I, for you is it just real world experience like you 're in the middle of this thing going okay i 'm about to lose my house, a lot of stuff 's hitting the fan. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. If I really evaluate what people are asking, and I ask to answer those questions, because it's very, it's, what you're saying sounds so simplistic, right? When you say it. Now, before that, it wasn't, right? I mean, it is. Twenty minutes ago, for me, I. But now, when you say it, I go, God, that's the most simplistic thing ever, but yet brilliant because once again, we're not. People don't think about when I go when somebody comes to my website. What are they truly thinking? Like, what is their their fears? What are they worried about? What are they? right? And and a good percentage of them have those same fears because we're thinking about it like we've got to hurry up and sell them because we have seven seconds. It's like, well, how do I pull these people in and how do I get in their head and think what they're thinking? And I think it's just brilliant in nature.
1: Yeah. So I appreciate this question and it is a more difficult one to ask because I could tell at an early age, right around 20, I guess it was, that I explain things generally... And it wasn't arrogance. It was just a a knowing, if you will. Mm -hmm. I could tell that I explained things in a way that people understood them better than many other people did. Mm. And I noticed as I, I was obsessive about watching receivers of information and how oftentimes they didn't get it. So, like, let's say I was watching somebody teach someone else. And I was watching the student or the receiver, in this case, the audience, whoever it was. And I remember thinking, even at a younger age, right, even in my teen years, I was like, well, this person doesn't understand, yet the teacher's moving on. Why? This doesn't make any sense. Why are we moving on right now? This person doesn't get it. And it would cause me, like, complete anger. Like, really? Why? And so it was this early, innate sense for, okay, simplicity is beautiful. And if you can say things in an incisive way that anybody could sit there and say, that makes sense to me. You're going to ultimately be a more effective communicator, right? And then that's also where they ask you answer comes from. It was the most simple strategy that people could put their arms around. I, okay, so if I've gotten the question, I just need to be willing to address it the way they think it, feel it, say it, and search it. Yeah, okay. I can do that. See, there's nothing complicated about that. A lot of people would try to make it more of a science than what it is. But because I Really try to strip it down and make it less of a science, it was more effective. And when you do really become obsessed, and I don't mean that word lightly, Shane, but when you become obsessed with the way buyers think, then it really does force you to consider things that you've never done before because you're constantly saying, Well, how would I like that? Like how would I feel about that? Would I understand that? And This is why it's like, I still to this day, a company, a brand will show me something. I'm like, but it doesn't make sense to me yet. I was like, how does it make sense? It's because it doesn't make sense. Your viewers are not going to understand this because it's not abundantly clear. It's not obvious. And here's how you can tell if it's obvious it's obvious if they can hear it and then teach it to somebody else. That's the quickest litmus test. It's a way you you can test certain things on this all the time. So if I explain they ask you answer to somebody, in seconds later, they could explain that to somebody else. Simple, right? Now, if you explain the definition of content marketing to somebody, as per Wikipedia's definition, and if you read that, how spreadable, how shareable, how easy is that to understand from someone else, from another receiver of said information? It's not. And you see, this is the reason why, We have struggles with buy-in all over the world. And this is the reason why, frankly, a lot of marketers struggle is because they do not speak the language of the rest of their business. They speak the language
0: of marketing, which inherently is built to fail. And I think that's, but this is the hardest part is even though it's simplistic in nature, it's probably one of the most difficult things to do because you have to really have a clear message, like a real, I think that's such a hard thing to do. Cause I think you touched on with the marketing thing, right? We're trained as marketers, right? So you got to hurry up and do this and you have this much time to get their attention. You got to do this and you got to explain to them why you're the best. And it's so, it's such ass backwards when, like, when we talk about this, but trying to like taking something from your whatever it is your you know two paragraphs down to you know one sentence or two sentences right? You talk about your pitch. It's hey, if you're with an investor in an elevator and you have yeah. you know seven seconds to pitch, them, what do you tell them right? And then it's like we I did this I did this thing at Google. So this was many many years ago, and they would and we had a value. I think it was a value statement. And what we would do is we had to really first it was paragraphs, and then we knocked it down to a few sentences and we presented yeah. it right. And it was this deal. It was like it's not easy right because you're like how do I put in everything in there in one sentence so that somebody, once again, it's easy for somebody to remember, be able to say, okay, well tell me what Marcus does. Marcus does this, 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 and this. It's pretty simple actually. Right. It's like doing that. And obviously I know you have workshops and stuff that you put on, but at that like I know that's difficult because I've done it myself. I'm not that good at it. I'll be honest. Like that's, I look at my stuff and I go, God damn, I've got so much more work. To I'm going to show this to my team. They're going to be like, I knew we shouldn't have interviewed Marcus. Cause now we're going to have to revamp everything, right. <laughs> so, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. The team will be okay with that too. I'm sure. But, but you get my point of like, it's, it is difficult to really hone in that message. I mean, it's, I mean, how do you like, I mean, obviously there's, you know, obviously I think reading your book obviously is a great first start. I know you do workshops and stuff. I'm just trying to figure out, I, I, you know, of course I'm, I know there's no easy answer. It's not like, Hey Shane, you read my book and then you can revamp everything. Everything will be awesome. But like, how do you get going with this? I mean, let's say if, you know, somebody can't afford you or whatever, like what would be the next steps? Like, how do you, what how do you start your process?
1: So let's say you said to yourself, all right, I want to embrace this mindset, this philosophy, which is really a customer first mindset. It's a mindset of we're going to be the best teachers in the world that we're gonna become obsessive listeners. That's the first thing that you that you essentially agree to, right? Now, once this happens, then you say, all right, so if we're going to really address our customers' questions, we need to start with what they're asking. And so you get your sales people together, and you say, what are the questions you're hearing all the time, mm. every single day? Exactly how they say them. And there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions. Now, here's what's interesting though, the book talks a ton about this, Shane. I've never seen an industry that's an exception to what I'm getting ready to tell you. So this is B2B, B2C, service product, big, small, local, national, just just across the board. There's basically five subjects that buyers are obsessed about with almost any product or service, five subjects. In the book, we call it the big five. What are the big five? The things that you and I wanna know before we engage a company, so as to feel like we've done a little bit of vetting, done our work, and now we can move to the next phase, all right, of the buying process. So those five subjects are this. As buyers, we're obsessed with how much is it we want to know about the money. As buyers, we want to know what are the negatives, the issues, the problems with this particular thing, this company, this methodology. Okay? So we want to know about money, cost. We want to know about the negatives, the problems. We want to know how does that thing compare to that other thing that we're also looking at. We've gotten to the point we feel like we always have to compare so as to make an informed decision. Okay? So we're obsessed with comparing. As buyers, we're obsessed with what everybody else is saying about it. In other words, reviews. And as buyers, we're obsessed with the best. We like to find out and we like to research what the best thing is. doesn't mean we're buying it. We just want to know what it is so we can work off of it. So cost, problems, comparisons, reviews, and best. Those are the big five. That's what buyers like us, you me, we want to know. Now, here's what's crazy. Buyers are obsessed with them and businesses do not like to talk about them. <laughs> they don't. So here's the quick litmus test that you can do that's going to give you the fastest gauge as to whether or not your content is truly effective, especially generating sales revenue. And that's how I really define efficacy in the world of business is what generates sales revenue. I'm not here to talk about like what drives a click. I just don't really care, right? Because when you've looked at bankruptcy square in the face, you don't really care about vanity metrics any longer. You just care about really what drives revenue. Now, you'll see that these five subjects... They help your sales team immediately. Your sales team could be using them all the time. And so the limits test is this What percentage of the content you've put on your website could be used by your sales team today, right now? In other words, what percent would they say, That's exactly what I've been looking for because I'm dealing with that right now with a prospect? If the answer is not much, you have a problem. I can tell you that at least 80% of your content should be aligned should fall under the, the umbrella that is the big five. And you're like, what do you mean that only has five subjects? Oh, no, 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 no. It's actually way, way more than that. But that covers almost everything. I mean, it really covers a ton of questions that people are asking all the time. These are all the bottom of the funnel-based questions, right? And what's interesting about content in general and content strategy, Shane, the mistake that most companies make is they start in a Top or outside of the funnel, it's generally very fluffy and a sales team or salesperson could never really benefit from whatever was produced. It wouldn't help them very much. Let me give you an example of this. So let's say I'm a pool guy and I wanted to produce an article or a video that says five fun games to play in your swimming pool. That's nice, but it's completely worthless to me as a salesperson, as a pool guy. In my course of selling pools, which was almost ten years, nobody ever asked me what are some fun games I could play in the pool ever, because they didn't care to ask me that. They had another set of questions for me so as to decide if they wanted an in-ground pool, did they want a fiberglass pool, and what type of I was just like all these components, like specific questions. And so because we didn't mess around with fluff and we attacked those bottom of the funnel questions, we got immediate results. You see, companies shy away from immediate results. Because this is the stuff that companies usually never talk about. So let me give you a couple examples, if that's, that's okay, Shane, so, right? Because this is really, really important. Yeah. It's like a crux of what we're talking about here. So it used to be that people would ask me all the time, Marcus, how much is a fiberglass pool? What's this gonna cost me? Just give me a feel, what are we looking at here? And what I'm about to tell you applies to B2B or B2C. So whether you're selling a service or product, it's the same deal. So Please don't put yourself in the corner of, this doesn't apply, because I promise you that it does. And so if I was asking anybody that's listening to this right now, have you researched how much something costs online in the last year? You'd say yes. And I said, okay. So if you're on a website and you're researching cost and price, you can't find it. What's the emotion you experience? You say frustrated. And I say, why? And you say, well, because it's, I'm the buyer and it's my right to know. And I would say to you, okay, so when you get frustrated, do you sit there and dig further on the website? And you're like, no, I immediately jump. And if I said to you, Well, when you get frustrated and you can't find it on somebody's website, you say to yourself, well, that's okay. They're not talking about cost and price. They're a value-based business and I'll call them on the phone instead, which again is completely false because that's not what you do. It's not what we do. Instead of calling the company or digging further on their website, we just keep searching and we search until we find. And generally speaking, whoever gives us the answer we're looking for, they're going to get our business. And if we get to the psychology of this, the real reason we get so upset as buyers is because we know as the buyer that they know as the business, the answer to the question. And because we know they know the answer, they're not giving it to us. We now feel like they're hiding something from us. And the moment you or I feel like anybody's hiding anything from us, well, then trust is gone. And that's the business that we're all in. That's the one thing that we all share. So you say, well, Marcus, you know, you don't understand my business. No, I do understand your business. In fact, there's three major reasons why companies don't talk about cost and price on their website. It comes down to three fundamental reasons. The first and the biggest one is the old answer. Well, it depends. We have a customized solution. Every job is different, et cetera, et cetera. So if I came to anybody that sells a product or service and I came to you and I said, so can you help me understand the factors that would drive the cost of your product or service up? You'd say yes. If I said, could you explain the factors that would keep it down? You'd say yes. If I said, you gave me a quote and some of your competitors gave me a quote and I see that they're very different in terms of price tag, but you're essentially all telling me that you're going to sell me the same thing. Help me understand the delta here. Why is there a difference? Could you explain that? But it would say yes, because you've probably explained that, especially if you're in sales. You've explained that hundreds of times over the course of your lifetime in that profession, right? So the idea of it depends, it's the easiest one to explain, and it's the most important one to explain. You need to explain all the factors that drive it up, the factors that keep the cost down, and why some companies are expensive, why some companies are cheap. If you do not explain that, you will unintentionally commoditize the very product or service that you're selling. Because what commoditizes anything is ignorance in the marketplace. And what allows ignorance in the marketplace to exist is the fact that companies don't talk about the basics until after somebody has shook the hand of the salesperson, which goes against everything that we have become as digital buyers and digital consumers. The second reason why we don't talk about cost and price on our website is we say things like it's, it's too expensive you know, or we're more expensive and we don't want to scare people away. But what we all know is the thing that actually scares us away is when a company doesn't talk about cost and price. It's ignorance. That's what scares us. It's no different than let's say hypothetically you wanted to go to a new restaurant sh- tonight, Shane. If you're like most humans, you're probably going to do two things. You're probably going to look at reviews for that website and you're probably going to look at their menu before you go. It's pretty common. Most people do this. So if you go to the menu before you go and there is no pricing, are you still going to go? Almost all people now won't go. And it's not because they can't afford it because you could afford most restaurants. It's because they left a blank. And the moment they left a blank, they planted a seed of doubt. When seeds of doubt exist, inertia occurs and we stop. That's just how it works. Right. Third reason why we don't like to talk about cost and price on our websites, we say things like we don't want the competition to know. What's funny about that one is, if I came to anybody that's had any experience in an industry, especially in sales, and I said, do you have a pretty good sense as to what your competitors charge? They would say, of course. And so here's the big secret. If you know what your competitors charge or roughly what they charge, it means they also know what you charge. This is the big secret, non-secret. Everybody acts like nobody knows what everybody's charging when in reality, everybody has a pretty good sense as to what everybody else is charging. Besides that, when was the last time your competitors paid your bills? They just haven't, right? So why in the world would you allow your competitors to stand between you and that thing that we call trust? So if you look at it like this, it just doesn't make sense. You know, we produced an article on how much does a fiberglass pool cost, right? We were the first swimming pool company in the world that aggressively talked about swimming pool cost. All the factors that drove it up, that drove it down. We gave price ranges. We gave the whole nine. And to make a long story, really short chain, because I wrote that article on how much does a fiberglass pool cost or a guide to fiberglass pool costs. It's made over $7 million in sales since the day it was written for my little swimming pool company, $7 million, $7 million in sales off of that one article that explains why it depends. You see, you can't always answer, but you can always address. And this is the part that too many people forget. And usually the victory goes to the one that's willing to have the conversation, even if it means that the answer isn't found but they at least help the buyer, the consumer say, okay, now at least I understand the parameters here and I know what I'm getting myself into. $7 million for 90% of our clients that I've worked with, which is hundreds of clients that we now have that have embraced, they ask you answer for 90%. This is B2B included. The number one traffic sales and lead generating content has to do with cost and price. Yet when I'm in a room, Shane, and I ask audiences, because I do this all the time, and I speak full-time professionally, right? So I'm always asking this question. How many of you in this room right now talk a lot about cost and price on your website? I've never had an audience where the number was over 10% ever. If you go to a B2B service-based audience, it's less than 2% of the room. It goes contrary to all logic, yet it's still a prolific problem amongst businesses all over the world. We're simply not treating others as we ourselves would want to be treated as buyers we want to know. And if we know and we feel good about it, then I'll give you a call. But if you don't bother telling me and you expect me to make a call out of ignorance, well, then you got another thing coming. That's the
0: game that we're in. So at the psychology, so how did you get, I mean, when you talk about the psychology of, is this, once again, is this something obviously over time that you've realized or is this, I mean, because you, you, you're heavy in the psychology side of things. And once again, when you talk about it, you remind me of one of my instructors yeah. in college where I was like, it was like a thousand aha moments. She's writing on the board. I can't raise my hand fast enough because there's so many, so much stuff that's going on. When you talk about psychology and the way that people think. And it's usually, I mean, it's, you know, there's a, there's a thousand blog posts about it, about psychology and how people buy, but yet it feels as marketers and as brands, we've like gone the opposite way because of, for whatever reason, like it's kind of, it just seems so counterintuitive once again, as you explain it. Well, to me, I'm
1: just really good at analyzing my own behavior, right? So I'm constantly throughout any given week saying, well, oh, I, I would like that. I'd want to know that, or that would turn me off. That would annoy me. And so I think we actually overanalyze. I don't think you need to read any books on psychology. I have not. But if we're just willing to look at what makes us feel good about a company or about a piece of content or about a video, what makes you look at a thumbnail in YouTube and say, I don't like that guy, yet you haven't hit play yet? Analyze that. There's something there. By the way, the answer to that is the person is trying to appear smart in the thumbnail, and immediately that turns you off. That's the reason if you got to the core, right? It's a threatening component to it, and so I just don't think most marketers spend enough time in this land of self awareness, really looking at it and calling a spade a spade. And we've all got this capability within us. I think it's untapped for the most part, Shane.
0: So here's the thing: first of all, were you in debate? I feel like you were in debate in high school or something like that. You seem like the guy that's like, you don't. You probably have never yelled or anything, have you? You seem like the guy that's just like, let me just mm-hmm. let me just think this out a little bit. And then I think the thing is, this is. What I want to answer for the audience is I think naturally you get it, right? I think it's really, as you touched on earlier, like you just have this knack for looking at something and going, mm, I don't know about that. Eh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Right, I mean, right, let's Be all right. That's it, right? You look, no, you're intuitive. Yeah, yeah. it's not. that no, no, we're not. No, that doesn't. That doesn't resonate with me. I mean, here you are with you know, bass shop, right? You're here with Pro Bass Shop, and they're you're like, eh, let's debate that a little bit, you know. But I think they enjoy that, right? The, the idea of this is like they hire you for a reason. They hire you as a consultant. to Come in here. It's not to be the rah rah yes person, right? Because there's everybody can hire those. It's a guy. That's ah, right. that doesn't make sense. What do you mean it doesn't make sense? Ah, I'm just telling you. Let me tell you why it doesn't. Like I could probably. I guess the thing for me, I could look at something and not realize why I don't like it, I don't go the next step and analyze it, right? I don't go in and say, okay, like what YouTube snippet as an example, like why why do I not want to click on that? Like what is the rationale behind that? I'm trying to think how we get just like 15% of Marcus in our life, right? Where we look at something, okay, what's true value, right? We're not gonna hit 100 because you, know, you, you are who you are, but like how do I look at something other than stopping and thinking right and being in the moment and looking at it and going okay what's the problem here why am i not clicking on this and i i think the issue is is that you know we as people we get marketed to what is that how many like thousands of times a day or whatever the number is right mm-hmm. and at like what point i'm trying to think if i was a brand or an agency like hey we want to want to talk with my marketing team and i want to like how do you reevaluate that? i mean i think consultants are obviously great and that kind of stuff where you bring people in is kind of because you're in the middle of it right you're in the middle of this thing that you think is great and all of a sudden you're but you don't have sales you're not sure what's going on and obviously with people that come in and can help with that I'm just trying to think if I'm a brand like is there a like when you're looking at your messaging is there is there a methodology is there something like okay let me read this think about it I mean of course it's not gonna be good for everybody but I'm just trying to think of like once again how can we get into that 15 maybe even a solid 20% of Marcus of where we look at things and evaluate it and say all right I need to really figure this out and why we what we think the issues are because when you explain Mm -hmm. it it sounds simple as all get up like I feel like I could just wake up tomorrow and reevaluate everything and just go get it done except I'd probably have to you know send you a few emails and my team's probably cursed right now (laughs) because they know this is only going to get down to a deeper project but you get my point. Like I'm just trying to figure out like, is there a, and I hate to say simplistic because I don't think anything about this is simplistic because the idea is you want to make it more simplistic, which is complicated because it's, I, I just think, but for you, it's easy. Like for you, you're like, no, not really. I think it's gonna. It's not too bad. It's just, you just are, you have a different lens, right? You see things as you see things. And for me, I'm trying to think of like, like how I can better evaluate once again my own business or a brand can evaluate their brand better. And I guess it's starting with the book, but I, you know, I don't know. You just, you have a very easy way of of making it seem simplistic, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. And these are good questions because people don't
1: normally ask me these questions and I'm not just telling you that Shane, I'm serious. So you've got a great observer's gift as well, I would argue. And I would say that, Probably the biggest element to this is I literally see the world in the form of a question.
0: Mm.
1: So let me give you a couple examples of this. Just looking on a level that we all understand, which is a child parent. Most parents today, if a child comes up to them and asks them a question, most parents today give an answer. The question is why? Like why do most parents give an answer? Well, there's two reasons, two reasons. The easy answer or the easy reason that a lot of people would initially say is trying to be efficient and quick, That's right? It's true. It's actually not the fundamental reason why most parents today do it. Most parents today do it because inherently they want their child to believe that they're smart. Absolutely. Now, my kids, they're screwed up in a really good way, okay? Because I have four children. Oldest is 18. Youngest is nine. Three girls, one boy. They know that if they come to me with a question, we're going to go on a journey together. <laughs> now, it's not a situation where they come to me and they say, hey, dad, what is such and such? And I say, well, what do you think it is? Because that's not what I'm talking about here. But usually the answer is within each one of us. And my only job as a parent is to facilitate that moment of self-discovery. All right. Let me give you a crazy example. A child came to me one time and said, daughter, she says, why is the sunrise in the morning, dad? Okay. So this is a classic case of we can explain it or we can ask exactly the right questions so that the child has an incredible moment of self-discovery, right? So, instead of just saying, "Well, this is how it works," I literally with her went on this journey of I would just pose a question and she would come back and she would say, "Okay, and so, and then I would pose another question and you could tell she would have another moment and she would start to get it. And then suddenly she comes to me, Shane, like, like as we're talking, she's like, I got it. I got it, dad. I'm like, okay, what is it? She's like, the sun's actually not rising. I'm like, okay, the earth is moving, which makes the sun look like it's rising. Now, here's what's cool about that moment. She will own that as hers forever. She wasn't told by anyone that the sun actually doesn't rise. She in her mind discovered it right is it possible to do this when you meet with a prospect is it possible to do this when you meet with a client is it possible to do this with a team member 100% yes the sad reality is the one skill that as a whole we have lost the most as a society that is not taught in university today it's not taught in elementary middle high school it's not taught in the workplace is the skill in the art Of effective communication. The closest thing that you see is occasionally sales teams taught on cheesy closing techniques. If you go to most salespeople and you say, Are you good at asking questions? they'll say yes. If you do an exercise or an activity where they're forced to just ask questions to help a prospect, you'll see that 90 plus percent fail. It's not what they have. And so When I look at something, I'm asking myself a series of questions, not just out of curiosity. I'm really trying to understand. I'm really trying to say, why is that right now the way that it is? When I am with an audience, I'm going to walk them through a journey by asking them questions, and they're generally going to discover what I'm going to. Like, it's not my goal to tell them. It is my goal to help them discover that thing that I want to tell them without me actually telling it to them. Now, it's hard to do this necessarily, let's say, in a podcast format, right? Because is it, it's, a, it's a different medium I and mean, we can't do it the same way. But if this was, I could see the audience, it would have been a conversation the whole time with me in the audience so that they keep having those moments of self-discovery versus, oh yeah, I heard it from Marcus, it must be true. Because that's not that's not the end goal. Because again, I'm not trying to sound smart. I don't want the audience to ever worship me. I don't want the client to ever worship me. I want the audience or the client or the child in my case to say, who's the hero here? The one that figured it out for themselves, right? And it also goes back to that intrinsic element of when we feel like we have discovered it, we own it and it's going to be ours. And we just might do it for long terms, right? It might become a part of who we are. Mm -hmm. If we feel like it was forced on us, then it's not nearly as effective. So in other words, here's a quick litmus test again that you can do on this. If your kids or if your coworkers, or if your clients or your prospects are consistently saying to you, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah, that's what we need to do, that means you have failed to induce a moment of discovery with them. But if you consistently hear from those that you engage with every day, if you consistently hear them say, wait a second, I know what we need to do. Now, that means you are a world-class communicator.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. I The communication thing is just, it's so, I mean, because you think about it. I mean, we that's what we do all the time is communicate, right? And and not understanding how to do that effectively is pretty crazy if you think about it. Because it is true with universities and stuff like that. I mean, it's not a big thing that's touched on, right? I mean, maybe a little bit in psychology. it's but,
1: a major problem. Yeah. In my agency, I have 100% college grads and the biggest problem that I have is helping them communicate in a way that they're on par always with the client or the prospect. Mm. It is easily our biggest problem as a company. And when there's a feeling of not being on par with each other, that's when you as the company, you end up saying yes way more than you should. You don't push back when you should. And all because you are... Fearful of uh, losing the prospect or or losing the relationship, versus knowing that if we're on equal plane here, if I say something with love and respect that is contrary to what they believe, and if I do it in the right context, they're going to really appreciate it. And so this is the skill set that is the great lost art. And I don't, for the life of me, understand why we don't spend way more time talking about it. And it's marketers have the same issue because we're all we're doing is communicating, right? We're just doing it in different formats. We're doing it on video. We're doing it in an article. It's like, but the principles are just tied together. Mm -hmm. It's like, what causes you to read the first two paragraphs of something and say, I'm into this. I like this company. I like how this feels. What causes you to watch a video and within the first 30 seconds say, I really like this person, something about them. What causes you to do the same thing when you were listening to this podcast today that made you say, I either like this person or I don't. These are all elements of simply the way that you're communicating in the moment, right? And again, you don't read
0: about it. You don't hear about it. It's not taught nearly enough. And this, I really believe it's a great tragedy. I do too. I can answer the thing about the podcast. It's my methodical voice. My voice is just very, that's the reason why people listen to my podcast. I mean, I think it,
1: no doubt. I'm not, no doubt.
0: I mean, I really am. I'm not, my guests are amazing, (laughs) you know, but it's just, and it couldn't be because of my red beard because it's a podcast. So nobody, I mean, half the people don't even know I have a red beard. So, so that's, you know, so as, as much as I'm joking around, I, you know, it's, do you have a hard time sleeping at night? Cause you're, I mean, the thing, you've got a, you know, how big of a, like, you got to change the world, my friend. Like we have a, I mean, that's, that's going to be, I mean, you gotta, that's a big ship. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but I am like, I, for you, because it, once again, I think it's your trainings and it's the stuff that you've done, you've got some books out and I think we should probably talk, touch on that a little bit, but just like, what would be, so let's say, okay, I'm I'm to say, listen, once again, I'm going to be more like Marcus, reading the books, is there like, and then like what is, I'm just trying to think about, because I, I think what you've touched on, you've opened my, my eyes a lot in regards to this conversation, this podcast that we've done. And I'm just trying to think like, what are the next steps other than like what you're looking? I know we talked about the book. I know you have some some self-help books and stuff like that. I know with the, your organization, you know, it's like trying to get people to understand how to better communicate. Is there a book other than yours? And, and once again, I want to recommend yours as well. Is there another book that you read that you're like, God, this is great? I mean, it just, you know, you just seem like you have that natural gift, man. That's the hard part. I want to, like I said, how do we tap into, and I know it's not a book's going to make it so you come out and all of a sudden you're like Marcus or something, you know, it's like read your blog. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, this is a
1: frustrating thing for me. I have started to teach a lot more about communication. (laughs) A lot of people don't know me for that. They know me for sales and marketing and they know me as the pool guy what i'm most inherently passionate about is transformative communication mm. in the home in the office and on the stage and because that's where you see this unbelievable domino effect that can change lives and like, sure. like generational influence that it can have i've seen it i got to share you this i got to share this one personal story with you if that's okay yeah please by the way i don't have a book i tag on i wish i did i wish i could recommend one right now I always tell people my favorite book is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. it is. I think it's one of the great books of all time. For sure. I think everybody should read it at least once every couple of years. And you know it's beautiful because it's really old by this point. You know, it's probably almost 100 years old. And it's still as true today as it was when it was written. That's how you know truth. So I had an experience last week when I was teaching at a uh, conference. And I was teaching on communication. And a gentleman comes up to me when I'm done. I'm packing up. He says, can I have a personal conversation with you? I said, okay, sure. Let's do it. Goes off to the side. And what I'm about to say, say Shane, sounds odd, but stay with me because it's going to make sense, I think, by the end. He says to me, So, Marcus, I was, as you know, I was here with my wife today because I called on him while I was talking and I noticed he had him and his wife there. He said, My wife and I, we were divorced at one time and we've been back together for a while, but she does something that really, really bothers me a lot. And I don't want it to bother me, but it really, really bothers me. He said, She bites her nails and she does it and it gets under my skin and she does it at the at the wrong times and it's just driving me crazy. All right, so I'm going to take a time out from the story. So what do most people do in this moment? How would most people answer this question? Plus, you have to ask yourself, you now why is he coming to me and asking me this right now? Not not necessarily a counselor by any stretch, right? But he just heard me talk about communication. And so he asked me this, and hopefully if you're listening to this right now, you're thinking to yourself, okay, here's what I would have said. what i said was there ever a time when she wasn't biting her nails and he said well now that you mention it she stopped for about two years after we got back together Mm. and that's when i said ah now it's clear now it's clear and to make this story really short i said to him i promise you this During that two-year period, you were so invested in her to make her feel loved, to make her feel important, to make her feel wanted, weren't you? He said, yes. I said, my guess is you're probably not doing that today, are you? He said, no. I said, if you go back to who you were then, I promise you, she will stop chewing her nails within the next six months, but this is all on you. And literally, Shane, he's sobbing by this point. He's sobbing, he nods to me, and he walks away. That's it. That's it. So there's a couple of things about this story. And it's just on my mind because it happened last week. I had these things happen a lot. Mm -hmm. And the only way somebody asks you that question is if they don't feel threatened, if they don't feel judgment. If we're going to be our best selves, somehow we have to release judgment. We're not there to judge. We're there to help them judge themselves if they need to, but we're not there to do it. Okay? So he didn't feel threatened by me. He felt safe. There's a lesson for me there. See, that's the type of questions I ask myself. Why did he come to me? Not in a, yeah, he should have come. Like, why did he come, right? And the other thing is, a lot of people might have given answers. Does she get her nails done at a, at a salon? That's one way to stop. Have you tried the formula that they use for your nails? Have you tried that nasty stuff that you can put on? You? Like, we say stupid things. Yeah. We say stupid things, right? But if you see the world in the form of a question where you release trying to give your answer, Okay but you're really, really searching for a moment of self-discovery. What happens in this context is he's able to say something like, well, there was a time when she wasn't doing it. And as soon as I hear that, now we've got our answer. We've got our answer. And he knew what he needed to do because he realized "Ah, she'd stopped because of me. And so I need to get back to that person that I was. That's the beauty of seeing the world differently.
0: Yeah, it really is, man. That's, that's actually an awesome story because it's, I think really what it comes down to is when when you you ask the right questions, right? And I think just anything that comes down to good communication, right? Because you for you, you have that, for me, I have to think about this later of what I would have asked, but it wouldn't have been what you asked, <laughs> right? So it's like you have this this knack for being you know, able to evaluate things at a very... Very fast, you know, right? Because obviously the person's asking the question. You can't go, you know, one second. Let me go ahead and think about this for a few moments. Let me turn around and then I'll come back around and look you in the eye and I'll give you my answer. It's like you have that for you. It's just this natural process, and that's the reason why I was like, "Do you sleep at night?" Kind of being facetious, but because you naturally, it's it's almost like it's almost like the people. I'll give you this is my example. So, I remember Robin Williams. I remember like seeing his comedy, and I remember the way that he would deliver mm. a lot of people wouldn 't get most of his jokes. I would watch it, and I would catch a, a lot of it and i 'm not saying that i 'm more intelligent than other people, but I would just understand it and then and I, and it's, it, I, he just had this knack for just building on things and saying things and, and, and for me, it was very I was like very in awe about the way that he did comedy because he was talked really fast and he this and this, and it was like, man you could watch it ten times and pick up ten different things. And he just was, he just had that talent, right? And so I think you also have that same talent of like, in the sense of just being able to, and when I say read a book and of course we're giving you know, go read a book and you'll be like, Marcus, when you get older, that's not the deal, right? You, you, were, you were given a talent and for you to be able to assess that. And I think it's awesome that you're out on stage and you're looking to make a bigger impact. That's not necessarily sales and marketing, that's awesome for you to impact yeah. there but just what you touched on earlier like you literally could impact lives and, and, and impact like generations of people if they start to do things a little differently and think about you know it's the you know that like when you somebody says hey how you or you know hey have a good day yeah you too like it's all these kind of things that we just we just naturally say instead of really <laughs> not that you need to fully evaluate that but it's we don't right it's this kind of like this little communication is like we just got to give them an answer to say something to them and make them feel this or feel that it's like but re- really you seem to be something not going to say a healer but like somebody who just really gets it like you just you you kind of you go through the layers of i'm not gonna say bullshit but i'm gonna say but like there's layers of things you just sure. kind of like and you kind of you're able to tap into that and that's a true gift i mean it just is and i think you realize that right i mean it's that's awesome
1: yeah right right and i appreciate that and at 41 which is how old i am today i'm at the point where i've accepted that my calling is not always going to be sales and marketing, mm-hmm. and you know I was. I think we misconstrue labels. You know, when I was um, 23 or 24, a family member came to me and said, "I heard you uh, started a pool company with a couple people." I said, "Yeah." And She looked at me straight, square in the eye, and she said, "What a waste! What a waste!" And I thought to myself, "I can't believe you just said that, right?" Yeah. And of course, that pool company. That pool story has been talked about all over the world now. And that allowed me, to, as the pool guy, that was the step to become what might be considered a sales and marketing speaker, yeah, right? For sure. And that took me all over the world to the point where I started having people ask me other questions. And I knew that there's more here to unpack, mm-hmm. which will lead to the next phase, which is communication. So my 20s was about swimming pools, my 30s, was about sales and marketing. And I think my 40s, it's going to be heavy into communication, right? And that's why we have to be careful about thinking we understand exactly where this all is supposed to go and how we're supposed to get there. You know, if, we're, if we release that and just obsess more on, am I really making progress, right? Am I, am I being my best self here? Usually those other doors that were supposed to be open, they will open at their own time. And then it'll all make sense. We'll look back and say, oh yeah, of course I was supposed to be a pool guy.
0: Well, and it's, everything's foundational and, and appreciate the journey, right? I think that's the thing is people always want to be in control of stuff. The thing is, is, I mean, this, we're all in for this ride, right? You got to put on your seatbelt and put on your helmet and this thing called life and you go through it, right? And, and the thing is, I think it's so funny. We talked about entrepreneurs and people say, oh, like, how do I be successful? I'm like, you know, fail a thousand times. And then understand what you learn from that because it's gonna only gonna make you stronger in the future. Like with whatever you do, right? And understand that. That's how you get your experience. That's what has taken me to where I'm at today, where you're at today, is because of our experiences, the things that have happened in our life, whether they're successful or not successful. The key to the whole thing is what have you learned from that, right? And and how do you take it to the next level? And I think it's I love the 20s was pool, right? Because that's my biggest thing. I, when I looked at your background, I was like, he was a pool, doing pools for 17 years. Like, how does that transition to what you're doing today? Like, it didn't even. I'm mean, like, there's a huge disconnect but obviously i'm sure you get that from everybody it's like and then you have but mm-hmm. this is going to be one of my final questions for you so you you said that was your aunt that said that to you about the pool thing said what it was a family member a yes family it was member? a family member. did that family member come back and ask you for a discounted pool over time tell me, <laughs> ask you, tell me they did did they not a little past, nope, never, never 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 came back good but i got a
1: i got a feeling she certainly a crow just realized but who knows who knows but i only say it not because it bothers me today I'm really grateful she said it. For sure. Right, Because now I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful thing to hear, to be a stimulus. Yeah. It helps me recognize that it's not so much the label at all, right? Because, you know, what an honor it is. And so when people today say, do you mind telling the pool guy story again? I mean, I know you've said it a million times, Marcus. I'm like, why would I ever mind that? Yeah. It is such a foundational element of my life. It built you. I'll always be a pool guy, even
0: though I don't sell pools anymore, right? I'll always be a pool guy, and I'm thrilled with that. Yeah. I think it's awesome, man. I think you got a great, great story, man. You got a good vibe about you. I mean, you're just – it's – how could, if anybody wants – because we're at the end of this thing. I got to be honest. I I feel like we should – I should come over to your house, and we should smoke a cigar and then talk about life (laughs) two weeks together. But except I know you're traveling, so we can't do that. But if anybody needs to get in contact with you, tell us about Mm -hmm. where they can pick up the books, any other emails, fun stuff, Twitter, Mm -hmm. Facebook, where you at?
1: So you can email me directly. Uh, I always love hearing from people directly. It's Marcus at Marcus Sheridan.com. S H E R I D A N. So Marcus at Marcussheridan.com. They ask you answer is a course available on all the majors online. It's got a revised version that just came out last month. Nice. And so make sure you get look for the revised version. The audiobook, the current one is not me, but the next one that's coming out. Uh, which will be available in about uh, six, seven weeks for the revised version. That is my voice. And so I just want to give you a heads up if you're listening to that. But please email me directly if you have any questions, if you need any guidance or you want to talk about any of that sales, marketing, whatever stuff, tradings, all that jazz. I'm happy to help with you.
0: Sounds like a plan. Marcus. It was awesome having you on the podcast today my friend. I appreciate you taking the time today and once again if anybody needs to get in contact with Marcus, if you have that information. We'll include that in the uh, the blog post below. We'll have all the all the juicy information on how to get Marcus's book and how to get in contact with him. Cool. Thanks man.
1: You're welcome.